Thursday Finance, Barry Preston. Let's start off with Qantas. It's certainly come out with some news today. Yes, uh, not uh, they didn't lose as much as what analysts predicted. They predicted over three hundred million. I think it was about two eighty five million. I'll check with Henry on that. And that was a loss of twelve months loss. Yeah, a it was twelve months loss. I think it's a no. It's, it's a six months loss. I think it is. Mm. Now. Yeah, Qantas has been battling um, high fuel costs like all of us, and that adds to their bottom line. And just imagine, how would you like to pay their fuel bill? <laughs> Plus, they have high wages, high salaries. Um, Lots of skilled people, of course, being employed, aren't they? Very much so. And they've got a beautiful record of, of safety. Now, where do you get your plane service where the cost is high? Okay, you can get your plane service where the cost is high. If the people who are flying on them look at it and say, well, we've got to support Qantas and we're prepared to pay higher airfares to f- for that. But there are other cheap airlines flying into Australia at the moment. So what are you going to do as an Australian traveller? What would you do? Do you look at your own pocket? We, we're seeing this in a lot of things with cars, building cars in Australia. It, we're seeing it in a lot of places. Is it our wage structure, the restrictive uh, work practices that we have? I must tell you a little story, not at the moment, of an American coming from a, over in America to speak to somebody here in Australia. And uh, we'll just go through a few of the things like the 17.5% loading, the rostered days off, the sick days, uh, annual holidays, long service leave, etc., etc. These are unheard of in a lot of countries. So, um, yeah, let's say management cut their wages by 50%. It may say $10 million. That's not a lot in the scheme of things as far as Qantas is concerned. Um, I don't know. I've never been involved in in, uh, a business of flying aircraft, even though I did train when I was younger to become a Qantas pilot. Lucky I didn't. I'd have been, well, I wouldn't have been, I'd have been put out to pasture years ago, I'd say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, interesting times ahead for Qantas. mm. Interesting times ahead. Now, it's the, flag-waving aircraft and when everyone says they're overseas and they see a beautiful, the flying kangaroo. It's a, it's a, great, it's a great thing. Let's hope it, it can survive. Mm. Let's hope it can survive. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> well, commodities, currencies <clears throat> and fuel are really a non-event. Very little's happened. Gold, $1,485 an ounce. That's up 19. Uh, very little change in percentage-wise. Silver's probably the biggest, a 14% drop, or $4.30 an ounce to $23.71. There's always lots of apparitions with uh, silver's moving up and down, and nobody knows why. Although I do believe silver has been very much short-sold on the world market. So it only needs a bit of a spike in, in something and fear and all the short-sellers will have to buy up and uh, look out. Silver could skyrocket. But, been wrong before on these sort of things, no one knows. Copper, $7,927 a tonne Australian. That's very stable, very little change from last week. Nickel. Uh, down 256 to 15,826 or 1.6% difference. Tin was up 2% to, or $536 a tonne to 26,360. <clears throat> um, currencies. Well, it's really uh, nothing very little, nothing very much at all. The Australian dollar's just below 90 uh, cents uh, uh, versus the United States. It's uh, 89.6. Last week it was 90. Now the uh, British pence 
Very little change on that, 53.77 to the Australian dollar. The Chinese yuan renminbi didn't change, 5.48. Last week, I think it was 5.46, which is very minimal, mimsical. The biggest change was New Zealand. We've strengthened against the New Zealand dollar. Uh, um, or no, sorry, we've weakened against the New Zealand dollar, 107.8. Last week, we've got 108.7. No change in the euro, 65.6. And the Canadian dollar... Look, wouldn't even mention a change there. 99.7 versus 99.6 last week. Heading to the Solomon Islands, you would get 6.51 approximate Solomon Island dollars for your Australian dollar. The markets were a little bit stronger overall. The Australian market was up 33 points to 5,447, or half of 1%. The American market 158 points ahead to 16,198 or just on 1%. The NASDAQ up 55 points to 4,292 or 1.3%. The Japanese market was the best, best performer or of the ones that we follow, 1.38% ahead, 204 points up on last week to 14,970. And the negative one was the... Um, Hang Seng, it's down 227 points to 22,437. So very little happening there. Oil markets, <clears throat> uh, the Australian uh, oil is uh, $128.30. That's the tapas per barrel. That's down $1.50 a barrel. The American oil, no change, $114.70. So Australian to the American barrel, all you hear on the radio is 102 Five American oil. Well, that's the American uh, price for it. We look at it in Australian dollars. And as far as the Bowser. Bowser is concerned, I don't know whether the NRA may get their average prices. I know I've been observing one station, and it's been under fifty cents a litre for unleaded. One fifty. One sorry, one dollar <laughs> fifty. What do I say? Fifty. <laughs> That'd be <laughs> good. Sorry about that. We'd all want one dollar fifty a litre. Yet the average in Newcastle is one hundred and fifty-two point one, which is. Point zero zero one per one cent change on last week. Central Coast no change, one hundred and fifty point three. Diesel Newcastle one hundred and sixty one point six no change. Central Coast one hundred and sixty two point one no change. Sydney is the bigger big mover, down eight point one cents a litre to uh, one hundred and forty nine point two for unleaded. And the diesel, no change. So when you look at that, it's been fairly, fairly stable because of the oil prices in America and Singapore, where we get ours from, have been stable against the American dollar. Our dollar hasn't moved that much. But I just don't know where they get their uh, average petrol price because 145 cents I've been seeing have versus 140, 152. I must have been like that around. for a week, a couple of weeks. Uh, right. We'll all be on maybe, your tail, Barry. Hey, maybe they've made a mistake. <laughs> don't tell them. I couldn't. Thursday, finance. It's 27 past 12. Barry Preston, our market snapshot, and we're joined by Henry Jennings. And of course, comments made during our program are for general discussion. You must always seek your own advice, and a product disclosure statement should be obtained and considered before obtaining a financial product. Staff associated with Pritchard and Partners and BBY stockbrokers may hold or trade in shares mentioned on this program. Pritchard's Financial Services Licence 246712, BBY 238095. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, Henry, Qantas. Whoops. Qantas. Yes. Um, they're throwing out a lot more ballast today with um, and, and news that they're uh, letting go another 5,000 of their staff, which is about uh, 
I think 17% odds, so not a great day for Qantas. Mm. Um, big loss, uh, Alan Joyce in the firing line, and I think if they wanted to sack somebody, he would be first on my list. Um, he has done a particularly terrible job. But anyway, um, I digress. But yeah, the stock's down uh, about 7% today following the uh, disastrous numbers and, and 5,000 people being uh, shown the door between now and 2017. Mm, is that because of their uh, leasing? They're getting rid, or not leasing, but they're getting rid of a certain uh, b- brand of aircraft, the seven four seven or something. Or is it? Well, I think there's a variety of reasons why they're in, in trouble. Their cost base uh, still seems to be too high. Um, they still seem to be defending the sixty five percent market share, which is their line in the sand. Um, they charge premium prices for what is not a premium service anymore. And I have to say, the staff morale must be pretty terrible, mm. uh, given the uh, the chops and slicing and dicing that uh, the incumbent CEO and board have uh, sanctioned. He's done pretty much most uh, most of textbook stuff to uh, upset most of the staff, I would say. Their costs must be high. Their fuel cost and insurance costs must be huge. Well, their fuel costs, would you would think they'd be the same as other airlines. I mean, uh, Air New Zealand came out today with a, with a, a, a good profit announcement, with their profit up about 19%. So mm. Air New Zealand have, have done the right thing. I think it's a question, ultimately, of getting in more modern planes, which, uh, which save you money, and also cutting the cost base, but probably not by just sacking people en masse um, and crippling uh, morale. And, um, you know, just, it's just a bad look for an airline, I'm afraid. So, mm. um, I don't know what the, uh, what the complete answer is, but at the moment, it certainly seems to be in one of those, uh, downward like trajectories, which is never good for an aeroplane. Ever thought of taking it over? Uh, uh, business, uh, work-wise, I mean. The <laughs> I mean, there was a there was a go not so long ago when uh, Jeff Dixon was running the joint um, from Macquarie and a few people, and the uh, the institution spectacularly and uh, infamously now knocked back the uh, the bid at around five dollars forty five, I think, from memory, and they didn't think it was enough. So here they are at dollar seventeen. I think those institutions should be uh, uh, looking in the mirror and taking a long hard look at themselves. Mm. Market still bullish. Market is still bullish. It looks a tad tired, I have to say, Barry. Yes, it does, Um, I think overseas markets and here look a little bit tired. We're at the end of reporting season, um, which has been somewhat mixed. Some very good, some not so good. Qantas not so good. Um, And, uh, you know, I think uh, it is a little bit tired up here. We have rallied quite significantly since the beginning of February. since the beginning of February, um, from around that sort of 5,060 to uh, around 5,450. So um, it's it's done pretty good in February, but I think we're coming to an end of that. Interesting. Papua New Guinea may be looking at buying into oil search. Now, oil search is one of the oldest oil stocks on the market. I remember way back in the 1960s, the share price, I think, was about three and sixpence. Hapenny. Now, uh, they've, they've, gone, up a bit, they've they? gone up a little bit. Yeah, they've, yeah, they've struck a lot of oil and gas. And I believe Papua New Guinea, the actual government of Papua New Guinea, are looking at buying 10% of it. Well, that, that was a report. The stock's got into a, a trading halt this morning as well. Um, Rumours that, um, or stories that maybe they're going to be looking at uh, buying part of one of the uh, the big uh, acreage positions up there, PL, PRL 15 um, from Total, which would cost them around 4 or $500 million, so um, that would probably require some sort of uh, capital raising. So um, we'll wait and see what the, what the actual story is, but at the moment they are in a trading halt, so 
we'll mm, see. But we'll I think see. you should have bought them at three, three shillings and sixpence. Henry, I did buy them at three shillings and sixpence and, and sold them, sold them at four and sixpence. <laughs> and <laughs> well, I thought that really was well. huge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was my first purchase. Anyway, BHP Rio Tinto Flo- uh, and Fortescue Metals uh, took a bit of a drop. Uh, iron ore price has been in, not the skids, but has come down a little bit. It has. I mean, BHP's had a pretty good month. So has Rio and Fortescue. Um, they've, they've all reported uh, this month. They've all done pretty well as they surprised um, some of the dopey analysts that had them not doing quite so well. Um, but it, it, as we've sort of uh, headed into the, uh, the sort of the, the, the dull days of this month, the iron ore price has slipped from around sort of 124 uh, down to 117, which is somewhat weighing on the share prices. BHP's come back to around 38.50. Um, and Fortescue and Rio's have both slumped back. I mean, Rio's did get to 70. They're now 67. So they've all come back a little bit. I guess um, the Chinese have got their budget uh, equivalent next week. So maybe there's a little bit of uh, nervousness about that, and maybe some of the uh, the weakness in the iron ore price can be attributed to that. But certainly, you know, the Chinese uh, economy does seem to be um, in a sort of a holding pattern rather than the growth pattern that we've all come to expect. Mm. Even cab charge got a bit of a kick. Now, cab charge is yeah. the, the uh, uh, taxi uh, charging in institution, and uh, it was once upon a time a sought-after stock. Now, here's a good example about risk. Here's a company that had going along quite well, and all of a sudden out came a government uh, decision, legislative risk. Bang, they dropped quite considerably. They did. I mean, it's... Um Cap charges has been an interesting one. They had a, they had a big fall from about five bucks down to three dollars eighty, and they've struggled back up to sort of that four dollars fifty level. Um, they had some interesting issues in Victoria, where the government was chipping away at their uh, sort of monopoly position and the amount of money they could charge. Also, I guess uh, in New South Wales and Sydney in particular, they've been assaulted by a number of sort of free taxi apps. Um, which people use on their smartphones, things like Uber and GoCatch, in order to uh, to hail a taxi. Um, so there's certainly people chipping away at their monopoly, um, but the, the figures were, um, you know, pretty good. It was a much shorted stock, so you know, with with what happens when. Sh- stocks are sold short by people any kind of good news tends to be exaggerated and people have to rush to buy them back so mm. it was it was a relatively solid performance um i'm not a big fan of this company i think uh i think the whole thing should be um should be open to uh, to a lot more competition and stop the stupid uh prices of taxis that we have in cities interesting do you this is our last question then we'll head over have a little bit of a break and head mm. overseas do you see much merger and acquisitions uh, hotting up uh, must be a lot of aussie companies with piles of dollars in their petty cash tim there is there, there's a lot of cash sitting on uh, company balance sheets at the moment and what we've seen overseas is that uh, u.s companies especially are very happy to splash the cash on uh, shiny new toys to play with on their uh, for their boards and their CEOs, etc. So um, we've seen some pretty big takeovers, and, and they continue to sort of hit the market on a daily basis. We haven't really seen that in Australia. Um, we've seen a number of foreign players come here and have a little go, um, push some toys around the playground. Um, we've seen uh, the Canadian Mounties come and uh, take over Warnable, <laughs> and we also saw the uh, the Yanks come and try and take over GrainCorp. But generally, it has been quite quiet from a, a, an M&A activity perspective, um, with companies quite happy to pay shareholders higher dividends and reward them that way. But I suspect 
expect. You know, there will be a move as we head this year um, from shareholders and um, institutions for companies to stop having lazy balance sheets, either pay the money, more money to shareholders or to uh, to get on with the job and try and uh, grow their businesses. So um, we'll see, but I suspect we'll have one or two big-ish takeovers. Thursday Finance on 2NURFM. And we're in our market snapshot, and Barry Preston about to head overseas. And our first stop is the USA, United States of America. Looks like they may snatch some of the Aussie uh, LNG, liquid natural gas markets. Now, and probably guess what? Are we going to be too slow with our compliances, etc., 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 etc.? Are we going to let them do it? Um, I would imagine that uh, we don't have a lot of choice, to be honest, Barry. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the Americans are producing an awful lot of, of gas, out of, uh, <laughs> of, as they do, out of their shale projects, which they, which they frack, um, whether you like it or not. I mean, they are producing huge amounts, uh, more than they can cope with. It is changing the face of their country. I think we should, you know, bear that in mind, that it really has changed the face of uh, the American manufacturing base. If they have such cheap energy, suddenly a lot of uh, businesses become far more viable. Now, um, to, to sort of compete with that is very hard when we have the environmental and uh, sort of public concern constraints that we do have. So this gas is going to go somewhere, um, and I suspect it will be finding homes in Asia and will be directly competing with the stuff that we're trying to get out of the ground in its limited numbers that we're trying to pump into Asia. So it's going to be an interesting few years, I suspect. You mentioned something there that has been a political hot potato and commentary and that sort of thing, and Terry McCrane's often brought it up on our program here. Mm. Their energy costs in America are dropping and dropping and dropping, and when you've got cheap energy, you can produce a lot of things cheaply. Why haven't we got it in Australia? Don't answer that question. Well, we have, is the answer. It's just we, we lack the political uh, will, I guess, um, to sanction it because of the unknown environmental problems. I mean, you read some of the reports that, that are coming out of the U.S., and I read one about uh, some of the problems they're having in Texas, that some of the towns there are now virtually uninhabitable because of the uh, the chemicals that are being produced by the uh, the fracking business. So um, it is scary. So if, if, if you want to... Uh, if you want to sacrifice whole towns and whole areas and potentially the water table to cheap energy, then it is possible to revive a lot of industries. But uh, it's, it's a bit of a trade-off. You want to have pristine countryside, then don't frack. This is true, very true. But the coal, of course, we've got a huge amount of coal, but it seems to be too expensive to produce energy. Anyway, that's another story. Hot money. Well, that's, that's got its own problems as well with the uh, greenhouse uh, gases. Hot money. China. Hot money. Now... This could be a black swan event, a shadow banking saga. There's a bit of a concern that there's hot money in China. Uh, there's been a few, uh, what, what do you call them, uh, in, not industries, but uh, trusts or something that have gone broke over there. There have been. I mean, the, the, one of the things with China is that uh, if you can't borrow money from the banks, you, you borrow it from sort of this shadow banking thing where, where um, sort of um, quasi-institutions will lend you money at extortionately, well, relatively extortionately high rates. Um, some of these have become almost Ponzi-like, um, where, where you just have to keep getting more investors in to pay the interest on the investors that you've already got there. So um, there is a little bit of a concern that the shadow banking system in China has grown to mammoth proportions 
um, as people have borrowed for various reasons, uh, especially in buying properties and expanding their businesses, etc., where the banks wouldn't lend them the money. So um, some of these trusts, which have uh, promised sort of 10% interest, are now struggling to uh, to pay that interest, and the government is not all that willing to uh, to bail investors out. So it's going to become a bigger issue going down the track, I think. Bitcoin. Oh, my goodness, we've talked about this quite uh, regularly. I've never understood Bitcoin, and now it seems that there's lots of people that don't understand it either. Well, I call it the digital tulip. And if you go back to uh, the 17, late 1700s, um, there was a big, uh, big mm-hmm. uh, sort of frenzy for tulips, and, and the prices of tulips went absolutely bananas. Well, the black one we, too. Mm-hmm. If you, if you can kind of pardon that tautology, um, black <laughs> tulips especially. But um, Bitcoin, as I call it, um, is this digital currency, which is a sort of a mathematical algorithm which allows people to mine it by solving the algorithm and creating more bitcoins. And these bitcoins are then traded on exchanges around the world. One of these exchanges has um, found a bit of a hole in its digital um, digital books in that someone seems to have made off um, like a bandit with um, about $384 million worth of bitcoins, mm. and the exchange had to stop trading. So um, the price of bitcoins has kind of dropped um, quite dramatically because of this, and I suspect the digital tulips days are numbered, um, certainly as uh, something that we talk about. I heard a rumour that you might be uh, leaving the finance industry and taking up a legal position in uh, in America and becoming J.P. Morgan's, one of their legal legals, because haven't they spent a fair amount of money on legal work in the last few years? Wouldn't that be nice? There's a lot of lawyers for J.P. Morgan. They got very rich. It, it seems that since 2010... They've spent about $30 billion on legal issues um, to do with uh, sort of GFC-type uh, mortgage scams or um, collateral debt obligation scams, um, plus fines. So they've, they've done pretty well, these guys. $30 billion, that's a, that's a fair amount of money. It is. And then, of course, when you take into consideration, there's stories about the Bank of America. Uh, there's a new probe going on there. It seems that its mortgage and foreign exchange business mm. is under in, investigation, but it's only $6 billion. Now, I wonder, is that any relation to the $6 million man? Um, it is adjust- inflation adjusted. It certainly is, yes. Steve Austin would be, uh, would be turning in his grave. Mm. Interesting, isn't it? All these things now, even the Swiss, the poor old Swiss, said mm-hmm. to have its US customers concealed in their Swiss <laughs> bank accounts. Oh, dear, dear, dear. I, I can't believe this story has come as a surprise to anybody. Uh, I mean, isn't this the whole reason why people use Swiss banks, is to, is to hide your ill-gotten gains or to avoid tax? Um, why has this become, you know, why have we all been surprised about this? I mean, the, the Swiss have been at it for years. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of business as usual for them. Yeah. Extraordinary. Henry, on behalf of everyone, thank you very much indeed. We will Always see you next week. Always a pleasure, Barry. Always a pleasure. Keep safe. When are you on Sky? Um, probably next week. I'm, I'm going to look at the uh, the Goldman Sachs elevator tweets, which is always good fun. Uh, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. See you soon. Thanks, Henry, and we'll talk to you next week on Thursday Finance on 2 and URFM. And Barry Preston, we're dipping into your mailbag now. And, of course, yes. you can get your question into Barry's mailbag by sending it through to finance at 2 com. And let's pick out some questions. And, of course, we answer them and... Uh but what I do is I pick some of the best out, and you'll you'll notice that some of them keep coming through that are con- consistent, which is good because uh, people want to know what's going on. Now, 
The first one, of course, we've got is... About the dividend paying period. We've been hearing a lots, lots about that over the while. Uh, over the past little while. Have you got any tips if you're wanting to buy or sell shares about the dividend-paying period? What happens if a company comes out and makes an uh, announcement and it's going to pay a dividend? It's then in what's called the CD, the come dividend period. In other words, the share has a value in it for the dividend. Now, if you're wanting to sell... um, You've got to be careful. If you have in place what's called a dividend reinvestment program and you sell during the ex-dividend and the payment period, because the shares go ex-dividend, I'll explain that in a moment, and the payment period, you're going to end up with a very small number of shares. Now, what that means is in the cumulative period, the shares are sold. Well, that's all right. Uh, there's no problems because the person who sold the shares, the seller, uh, gets the money. Now, if you sell after they go X, the shares normally drop for the amount of that dividend. In a perfect world, they drop the exactly the same amount. Now, if you sell then, of course, you're the seller, you get the dividend. Now, the dangers of, if you say, oh, I better wait till I get the dividend. The dangers of waiting, the price can go down. And nobody can tell you, I've had a lot of people say, well, what should I do? I have no idea because anything can happen. It's up to you. You consider your position. If you want to sell, you get the value now. If you don't, well, you may hold and all of a sudden you find that the shares dropped considerably. So it's a decision that you have to make. No one else can make it for you. But just be aware of that you may end up, if you've got a dividend reinvestment program and you sell after the shares go X and before the dividend is paid, you may end up with a very small amount of shares. Now, are you still finding clients, Barry, who aren't collecting their franking from the ATO? Yes, when I say this is a concern, a lot of people who have got shares in AMP, um, etc., I'm just thinking NRMA, NIB, and really weren't au fait or understood how shares work, they're getting their dividends and a lot of them uh, may be receiving a pension and you say to them when they go to sell, have you got your money back from the tax department? Oh, no, we don't do a tax return. Well, when you look at it, the franking or the amount of money that is sent to the tax department on behalf of the company, which is 30% of your dividend, is sitting there waiting for you to claim it. Now, as I say, uh, if you look at your dividend slip, you'll see the dividend amount, say $200, Less franking credit. It might be $60. Now, that $60 is yours if you are uh, in a pension and you don't pay tax. That's yours. You can get that back from the tax department. And remember, you may get that twice a year. And some people haven't claimed this for the last 10 years. And it is considerable. How do you get it? Well, there are two ways, or three ways. First of all, you can go and see them at the tax department and tell them that you don't understand, etc., etc., etc. Or you can go to your friendly accountant who will charge you to put in a tax return. Or if you're computer savvy, you can go into the taxation website. Now, good luck. It's the ato.gov.au and you find something in there where you can put it in and say, I'm looking for a franking credit refund or franking credit refunds. If you can get to it, you've got to download a return for each year. It's challenging, yes, but remember, the money's yours. If you don't get it, it will just sit in internal revenue for quite some time. And by the way, they don't tell you about it, which is bad. So by filling in a tax uh, return, Hmm? even if you're not getting income that needs to be declared, 
Um, well, you've got to, you can just get your franking credits. Yeah, back. but of course, it, it all depends on your income and so yes. forth. This is what you've got to look at. It's 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 not that simple. Okay, so an accountant can help. Yes, most that. Okay, uh, dipping in again to the mailbag, Barry's mailbag. Uh, when we speak of dollar cost averaging. That sounds wonderful, but what does it actually mean? Actually, dollar cost averaging is uh, uh, a term that means if you bought a share, say you bought a thousand shares at one dollar, that cost you a thousand dollars, and now they are seventy cents, and you're considering to buying more. Uh, look, this can be a good strategy over a period of time because if you look at all the big shares, the banks, the BHPs, and so forth, they go up, they go down, and if you're happy with them and you want to keep buying them, get back. Let's get back to our thousand shares at a dollar. You bought them. And it cost you a thousand dollars. Now they're seventy cents. If you want to buy another thousand shares, it's going to cost you seven hundred dollars. So together, you've now got two thousand shares at a total of seventeen hundred dollars, which equates to an average of eighty-five cents. So that's what they call dollar cost averaging. When the shares go up, you might still want to buy them, but when they come down, you want to buy some more. You're averaging your price. And if they do come down and they do go up, you've got more shares. However, you've got to understand what the company's all about and you've got to be happy with your purchase. So that's got nothing to do with deciding to buy or sell, has it? It's just a way of it's, a comfortable way of looking at your shareholding. I have clients that each year in January they buy shares irrespective of the price. Some of them buy it in June irrespective of the price. They just come in and they say, I'm going to spend five thousand dollars on these shares. Next year, $5,000 on these shares, dollar cost averaging. And by the way, slow and sure creates wealth. Thank you very much for listening. Keep safe. Be back next week, hopefully. Thursday Finance, after the midday news on 2NURFM. News coming your way in just a moment. And right now we've got the Osmonds. Julian Campbell will be along after the 1 o'clock news with Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM.